Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's available on Amazon, and that was written by VJ Trollio, the teaching professional at Old Waverly Golf Club in West Point, Mississippi. Special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music, and you can find Steve at steveazar.com. Today we have Tom Shaw, the Abilene Christian men's golf coach on the podcast. This is uh, his eighth season now at Abilene Christian. What a season it's been. They won the WAC and got their first NCAA bid, and they'll be going out to Stockton, California. We'll get to talk to Tom about that and the atmosphere and just kind of the roller coaster day. They had that final day to win the WAC. And uh, But he's been around golf a long time, played at Georgia Tech, was on the team with Trip Eisenhower, Charlie Reimer, and David Duvall, played under legendary coach Puggy Blackman. He played seven years out on the Nationwide Tour, decided to get into coaching. Puggy gave him a start as an assistant. He then headed down to Tulane and spent about seven seasons there, and then Katrina hit, and that's just a heartbreaking story. Uh, and devastating story. We'll get into that uh, uh, and the, the, the things he had to do with the team and just uh, grew as a man, grew as a coach, and I think it was just one of those trying times uh, for him. He went on up to Vandy, spent a few there, years there, and then down to Abilene Christian. But Tom Shaw's got some great uh, uh, just advice and, and just a good perspective on life that uh, that I think everybody's going to enjoy. So let's get Tom on the line. I can't wait for you all to hear from Tom Shaw, Abilene Christian men's golf coach. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome Tom Shaw, Abilene Christian men's golf coach, who have made it to the NCAA's regionals. Tom, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you very much. Uh, we're excited. You should be. Eighth season now at Abilene Christian. What a se- what a year it really exact Last couple weeks, I guess, for the Wildcats. Won the WAC, get their first uh, NCAA regional bid, uh, and off to Stockton, California. But uh, take us back to that final day and some of the emotions you're going through, especially the final hole, as crazy as that finish was. Well, we put ourselves in good position. You know, you always want to play with the leaders and the guys that you're chasing. And, you know, we were in second place coming in the last round, and Really, uh, we had the guy who was in first place and second place individually. So we thought, okay, if those two guys play well, we'll have a chance. And then, uh, unfortunately, the, our 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 best player throughout the year just had a just had a poor day. And I thought, well, this is not going to end well. Cause yeah. You have to have to rely on your on your four or five guy to kind of pick up the uh, pick up the slack. And but they but they did. And after nine holes, I thought, okay, we're we're probably in it. And then I was getting reports from my assistant coach that were making a lot making a lot of bogeys and I don't I don't look at golf stat at all because it, it's stressing me out I don't I don't want to know but I, I have an overall feel based on how I how I perceive body language and, and guys and so I thought well we're you know we're, it's probably not going to happen I'm, I'm hearing about a lot of bogeys and so I, I stuck with my number one man who was uh, you know vying for the for the individual championship and just wanted to be with him and um uh, you know, I got a report from my assistant coach on the 16th tee. It says, hey, things have changed. We are now right in the middle of it. So, <laughs> so I got excited. And uh, about, I think, this, with two holes to go, I got another text from my assistant saying, we have we have a lead now. So we've gone from absolutely being out of it to now having the lead. And it just changes emotions because I'm trying to keep my player uh, pressing. I'm trying to keep him chasing for the individual title because I think if I tell him we have the lead, he might go into, you know, prevent mode. And 
uh, as you know, that all that produces is uh, preventing the win. So uh, he was still in chase mode, and he made a great par on 17, and then we still an 18T, and I get a report that, hey, all we need to do is double bogey or less, and we're going to win. But by that time, the wind had kicked up. It was a left-to-right wind on the last hole, which, you know, for a right-handed player is kind of tough. And uh, he hit a decent drive, but the wind took it and put it right into a bush. So we had to take an unplayable lie, and, you know, he's not aware of where the team stands. I certainly am, and my stomach's just going nuts. And he kind of chops it out barely and ends up on the green with – with a two putt for the win and the same Houston player, you know, if he makes birdie from the same distance, he, he ties and we go into a playoff. So it's just a, just a mess of emotions. And uh, fortunately we were able to two putt and come away with the victory. Do the kids want to know where they stand or do your players want to know where they stand when they're out there? Or, you know, how do you approach that as a coach? Cause that's a tricky one. Yeah, I think it is at all levels. I think some kids like to know and probably, do better knowing it, but there's also an equal number of kids that, that I know they're going to use that information and it's going to adversely affect them. So yeah. it's just about just not knowing your kids and uh, figuring out what works for them. I've, I've got a kid from Mexico. He's, I mean, he's, he's checking the scores all the time on his phone, which I think is just ridiculous, but, but he, he, he loves that. He loves to know where things stand and that can motivate him. But, but I know the kid I was following Alex Klaus is, you know, he just needs to just keep on plodding along and, and trying to do his best. And too, too much knowledge for him is probably uh, going to hurt him. Yeah, you just got to know your kids. And, and they've got to be honest with you. I mean, they've got to be able to say, hey, I want to know or I don't want to know. And that's it's a different people. I kind of always wanted to know where I stood. But then there's that anxiety. Uh, you know, it's always easier to come from behind and, and win that way. But when you've got the lead, then you get into, like you said, the prevent mode, and that's when you kind of get in trouble. But, you know, what was the what was the uh, atmosphere with the guys after they, they'd won and everything? Uh, you know, take us through those emotions that they had. They finally accomplished all the hard work they put in. Uh, elation, as you can imagine. We've, we, we've lost to Sam Houston, I think, every time for the last uh, seven years. So, uh, and so to, to, to finally win – uh, it's just, uh, it, it was, it was perfect because we, we've got a bunch of seniors who have really seen this program grow from, uh, not much to, to what it is today. So it, it's, it's a great reward for their hard work. And I just think that anytime, anytime kids win, it's just a, just a blessing. And, and I think they felt like, Hey, this is a, this is validation for the work we put into. And it, it's been a wild year for us because we, we opened up the spring season, you know, just finishing dead last at, at our first tournament uh and there's you know the players only meeting there's there's uh there's there's talk and how do we go to where we need to be from finishing last in the tournament and and the guys really took ownership of the program which is which is what i love to see and they they made it happen so i think all of that combined to, to just produce a an emotional outburst that was that was pretty fun to watch as a coach you know ryan cabbage told me the same thing happened to him at charlotte they just kind of had a get together and sat down and said, we got to reevaluate where we are. And, and, and the team does have to take ownership, but it, it, uh, pretty cool though. But you, you know, you're in, you're sitting in the clubhouse, uh, for the selection show, uh, you know, what's that atmosphere like for these kids? They got to be excited. I, I, they know they're going, they just don't know where they're going to go. What's that like for those guys and in, in yourself? Uh, you've been there with, in some of your other previous, uh, coaching positions, but what's it like for them? 
they spend all their time watching other teams do it, whether it's basketball or other golf teams. So they, it, it's pretty cool for them to actually be in that in that role. And we had a bunch of had a bunch of people in the building at Byron Nelson Clubhouse here. We we can hold a lot of people, and and we we invited all of our fans in there. So I mean, we had a we had a pretty good crowd, and and, and so I think the guys finally, maybe for the first time, felt like, hey, there are, there are actually people that follow us and are interested in our program because you know at golf tournaments, college golf tournaments, it's usually just parents and and. Uh, and coaches. So to see all the people show up to this and other coaches from other sports teams, uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty special experience. And uh, I was not expecting to go to Stockton, California. I'll be honest with you. So uh, we're, we're trying to work through some flights there. We, I, I think everybody thought we would go to uh, Texas A&M because it's, you know, it's just four hours down the road, but it doesn't matter where we go. We're happy to be at the next stage and, you know, you can't win the, can't win the national championship without uh, getting into regionals. So we're, we're excited about that. Yeah, and you'll be out there with Arizona State. They'll be the one seed, Washington, Stanford, LSU, Oregon, some pretty good teams out there. But uh, like you said, it's it's an opportunity. you got to take it as that, and you got to just keep rolling with it. But uh, tell us a little bit about the, the clubhouse, the facility there at Abilene Christian for some of our listeners that uh, may not be aware of it. Tell us a little bit uh, what you all have to offer there. Small private Christian school, we, we, have, we have pretty good golf facilities. We have alumni that are, that are pretty interested in the sport and, and want to uh, provide opportunities for our guys. So, uh, Byron Nelson always had a connection with the school. His brother was, uh, on the faculty here and, uh, Byron was, uh, was on our board of trustees for, for a while too. So it was only appropriate that when we did build a clubhouse, we were going to name it after Byron Nelson. And so there's a lot of his memorabilia in the clubhouse along with some ACU, uh, stuff. And it's just a, you know, you know, locker room, indoor training area. Uh, player lounge, and then we look out onto our four-acre uh, pr- practice facility uh, outside, which which was the beginning of it in 2018, and then the clubhouse followed soon after that. Uh, so for you know for a little West Texas town, you know, we have some pretty good golf uh, f- facilities, and and they're on campus too. All of this is just the, the kids can walk uh, can walk to this facility, so it's, it's a pretty nice arrangement we have. Yeah, that's pretty cool to be able to be on campus because uh, if you go to some of these schools, they drive 30 minutes just to get to their facility. But uh, what kind of, you know, when you're recruiting kids, uh, you know, what are you looking for in their players and, and to get there to come to uh, Abilene? We're, we're looking for great players, great kids, great students. Uh, I know being, being a Christian school it makes it makes it a little different because there are some kids that are not necessarily looking for that aspect. And, uh, when we don't, obviously we don't recruit only, only Christians, but it's just part of our, uh, part of our culture, part of our establishment here. Um, you know, one of our sister schools is Pepperdine. Uh, so, you know, you, you can't tell me that, uh, that Christian school can't, can't win. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously great exactly. golfers we're looking for and somebody who's, somebody who's coachable because I'm a coach that likes to, uh, I, I obviously don't like to, to to change guys when they come here, but but there is some coaching that goes on. So I so I need some coachable kids and kids that want to learn and grow. So we're uh, some of the high profile recruits we're we're probably not getting, but the kids that want to want to get better, want to enjoy great facilities, want to grow as a person and be part of a great team. Those are the kind of kids that come here and flourish. And I think as we have more success as a program, we're starting to attract better and better players and on the international front it's an attractive place for them as well we have we have several international players on our team and they they find the transition uh pretty easy and and pretty enjoyable for them 
Yeah, recruiting had to be pretty tough during COVID, where especially on the international side and for your international players. Uh, but kind of got out this past summer to finally get out and, and visiting and recruiting with the kids face-to-face, so that was always a challenge. But uh, let's go back in time and let's get to know Tom Shaw, the player. You played at Georgia Tech under the legendary coach. I believe you were under Puggy Blackman, were you not? Under the legendary Puggy Blackman. That's right. And he'll tell you he's a legend in his own mind. But uh, – I, I could say that because I'm friends with Puggy and I've known him since I played and, and he was one of the best coaches in uh, college golf and it, it, he was coaching on the women's side or helping out on the women's side when he was at South Carolina when my daughters were playing and always loved to get to see him and and, uh, and we always tell some stories and some of them are not so much lies but just a little changed over time with Puggy but uh, what was that experience like at Georgia Tech because you all had some good teams too recruited me I think as a as a GPA boost more than anything or to to, to room me with the, the trouble kids because I was a good student so I was looking at Georgia Tech as a as a regular college option and I, you know I just wasn't very I mean I was an okay high school player but, but I wasn't anywhere near what he was I mean, he, he brought in Charlie Reimer as, as in our freshman recruiting class Trip Eisenhower was in our recruiting class I mean I wasn't even in the ballpark with those guys and didn't really play my first couple of years. And, and Puggy uh, kind of told me in a nice way, hey, if you want to play, you're probably going to have to go somewhere else to play. And and I just, you know, I was a pretty quiet kid, but for some reason I just kind of, uh, you know, stood up and said, Puggy, there's there's no, no, no doubt in my mind I'm going to play here at school. And I think he was just shocked more than anything. So he said, well, okay, you're not on much money anyway. You might as well, might as well stay on board. So I stayed. Well, that's and, and you survived Reimer and Eisenhower, which is a feat in itself. Uh, I roomed with Eisenhower my second year. And, oh my uh, gosh! <laughs> uh, yeah, Tripa. I mean, he's a great roommate. But every every day was different and unique and entertaining, especially when you throw uh, Reimer in the mix. But uh, we, you know, we brought in David Duvall for our last two years, and he was obviously a great player. And and I got I got better just being around better players, and, and that's why I tell kids a lot today. Hey, just stick around better players, you're, you're going to get better regardless. And so I got, I got better. I played my last two years. Duvall came on board. We got, we had Briny Baird for, for a year. We had uh, Michael Clark on, on the team. So uh, Jimmy Johnson. So, uh, you know, we had a great uh, five, five, six guys and I was able to get some great experience and, and be a part of a, a really good team. I mean, seeing a kid like Duvall who ends up being the number one player in the, in the world later in his career, that's, uh, I mean, I, I still think about uh, some of the things that he did and, and, and tell people stories of some of his accomplishments. He was, he was tremendous. What did he, what'd you learn from being with around David? And the other guys were great players, but uh, obviously David, uh, incredible career. What'd you learn from being around David for a couple of years? His practice habits were, were pretty different, whereas I just assumed if I stayed out there longer than anybody else, I was going to get better. And that was, that was true to a point. But David would come out there, let's just say 30 minutes, but he, he had a plan. And he, once, he, once he accomplished that, he was, he was gone. He didn't feel the need to just mindlessly hit balls. He was pretty he, – he had the mind of a, of a, of a 20-year tour veteran. I always tell people that because when he just – everything he approached from practice to play to tournaments, he, he just looked like he'd been on tour already for, for, for 20 years. He was just kind of smart to get a – High golf IQ, uh, knew what to practice, knew when to practice, knew how long to practice, and then once the tournament started, I mean, he knew he knew way more than we did about how to get uh, 
how to get a good score out of the rap. Yeah, it's funny you said it because I work with Dr. Coop, who was a sports psychologist at North Carolina, and, and that those are the things he said. You know, you practice with a purpose. And we had Jack Nicholas on at the Masters on Live From, and I asked him what separates that elite player from the rest, and he said being prepared, preparation. And I had never had that answer. What would you say separates that elite player? You were around David Duvall. What separates that elite player from maybe the rest? I, I saw more on the on the mini tours when when I played. The, there were guys that just uh, were just happy to be out there. They they. They didn't really have any understanding of what it took to be an elite athlete, not not not, not just golfer, but an elite athlete. And the guys that succeed out there, just they, they go about things differently. Their preparation is is, is better. They're, they're 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 committed to a plan. There is a plan, I guess. I should start with that, and and they're committed to it, and they kind of have a, have a long term vision about what what they're trying to accomplish instead of just going day to day. You know, where am I going to go eat? Uh, uh, what am I going to work on today? I, I think they already know that stuff. So uh, being very disciplined and uh, kind of long-range thinking, I think, can, can really help guys when they're when they're out there playing for professional golf. And then to become elite, all of that is just ramped up. Uh, there, there's got to be some talent in there, obviously. Uh, Duval was just, I mean, an amazing talent. And, and his dad, uh, Bob, was, was, was a great player, too. So, I mean, David has always been around great golf. And and I think that the young guys coming up, you know, if they can just be around better and better players, just compete, compete, compete. Uh, you know, David was a ferocious competitor and did, hated to lose and didn't lose very much. I can tell you that. So, uh, no, he didn't, and he did hate to lose. That's 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 a great uh, answer to that because that's always a tricky one. There's always different views on it, but it gets down to that gut feeling that you just want to beat do whatever it takes to be better than everybody else and that inner drive to be great and not to be afraid to be great. And I think David definitely uh, was one of those guys. You played professionally for seven years and on the nationwide and several other places. Uh, why did you get in coaching and who gave you your first shot? You know, I was, I was towards the tail end of my seven years and had some great experiences and did play some good golf, but wasn't playing great at the time and just had a, baby and bought a house and you know life gets in the way of a lot of stuff and i figured hey i can kind of see the writing on the wall here i'm not uh, i'm not gifted like a duval and uh hanging around the uh, nationwide tour nike tour for another five years is, is probably not going to, uh, to ensure uh, career success so uh, i thought coaching was going to be a good option for me just because i you know i was pretty pretty organized as an individual and I thought I had some things to offer young people coming up from, from high school into college and contacted Puggy about uh, maybe getting on board with him because I don't think he'd ever really had an assistant uh, or at least much of an assistant in, in, in the past and uh, he, he let me come on board for, for about a year and a half and got some really valuable experience. He had a, By this time Puggy was at South Carolina and had a very good team there too with Kyle Thompson and, and Eric Ecker. So I, I got to be around some really good players and play coaching mm-hmm. some good tournaments and, and, and kind of saw how from a coach's perspective, a coach's eye, how college golf was, was working at that time. It was, it was really invaluable experience. What were some of the things he taught you? What'd you learn from Puggy, not only as a player, but that helped you in your coaching? I think he told me to recruit better. Uh, you know, the first time I, he sent me out to watch Ryan Hibble, who was out at Langford University of Georgia. Yeah. And, you know, at that time I was pretty analytical. So I thought, you know, golf swing was everything. And I went to watch Ryan. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a horrible golf swing. He's never going to 
he's never going to make it. And I went back to Puggy and reported just that. And uh, of course, Ryan turned out to be like a four-time All-American. So I was clearly not a very good uh, evaluator of of talent. So Puggy taught me that side of it. And I think just in terms of knowing your knowing your players, understanding what, what makes them tick, which is really, uh, that's the essence of coaching right now is, is not, uh, not the X's and O's and, and the golf swing, although that's important. It's, it's about knowing your players and developing them, uh, not only as players, but as people. And I was, I was always intrigued by the fact that Huggy's former players, you know, always stayed in touch with him and, mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. And that, that, that told me right there that, that Puggy invested his time into the players about about who who they who they were, what their lives were, and who they wanted to become, and less about hey, let's make sure we shoot good scores so you help our program. But Puggy was really invested in, in the individual, and I I took a lot from that. Absolutely, Steve Spurrier said uh, he knew he was a successful coach when he his past players brought their kids back to meet him. And I think there's a lot to be a lot to be said about that. But you then go to Tulane, where you're the head coach for uh, from 2000 2006. You had some great teams, and then unfortunately Katrina hit. But you had to do some adjusting, like so many people down in New Orleans. And I believe you moved the team to SMU or somewhere out when when classes were disrupted and everything was just chaos down there. Tuck, take us through those uh, that last year, that year of Katrina. We were uh, we went to SMU. I think some other teams went to some other places. I think SMU was a blessing for us because we went to Dallas Fort Worth and you know the golf metroplex was was available to us and and people really opened up their arms to us. Uh, you know, Bentry Country, you know, David Price at Bentry Country Club, uh, uh, Randy Smith at uh, Royal Oaks. I mean, just said, hey, come on, let's go. You guys can play, practice as much as you want because we didn't know what was going on back home and. And getting the guys enrolled in classes at SNU, that was that was my job. And uh, I, I tried to piece together their schedules as best as possible. We had to find uh, dormitories for them. And so there's, that's not something you train for. It's just something you think, hey, uh, I hope I get all this right. And, and we did for the most part. But what it taught me is this, and that if you recruit high-character kids, your, your program's going to benefit from that in some form or fashion. And, and I had great character kids who who took this huge you know catastrophe uh, huge bump in the road and they and they did the best with it they made the most of it i mean we're, we're talking michael thompson's on the team uh, uh there and and uh there's a lot of upheaval but you know now they, they get to play dallas athletic club royal oaks entry um, practice we were still able to compete in some tournaments albeit you know we had to kind of piece together some things in terms of balls and gloves and <laughs> we didn't have any of that stuff so, uh, but I had some Brazilian kids that are good character kids who are now older and wiser and very successful. But uh, it was an unusual time for sure, and it's stuff we look back on and still tell stories about with uh, when we get get together uh, occasionally for for reunions and stuff like that. Uh, but we, we we made the most of it. In fact, the interesting thing we had a match against SMU while that was going on, and uh, it was a pretty tight match. And the last group was Michael Thompson against Colt Nost. And and it, it wasn't a year or two later that those two met in the finals of the U.S. Amateur. Um, Michael Michael was at Alabama. Colt was still at SMU. Uh, so it was pretty pretty interesting prelude to what was going to happen at the USM. What did you learn about yourself during that period of time? You know, I had a kind of a sense of calmness, even though I, I didn't know what the next day was going to hold. I, I, I felt 
maybe not at peace, but I felt like, hey, this is gonna this is gonna turn out okay. Um, we're gonna be fine. Take care of your kids first, and the rest will kind of fall into place. And uh, it's I think we all learn from adversity. Uh, there, there's gonna continue to be adversity, and if you if you build yourself up through that, uh, you're just able to apply that to certain situations, and then you feel like you know what, no matter what, no matter what happens in, in front of me, we're you know, I, I have a pretty good foundation to 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 deal with things and 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 try and make the best and help other people along the way because uh, you know sometimes we get so wrapped up in golf that it it feels like well this is the most important thing in the world and it's and it's really not but uh, but you can you can go through things in your life that that can be applied to golf that can that can help you get through some of the downtimes of golf which there will be you're just not going to play at a Scotty Scheffler pace for the, for your entire career or you're not going to be able to coach at a uh, Oklahoma State pace uh, for your entire career. So it's it's just anytime there's adversity, uh, I, I think you you can learn from it and and be and be able to apply it to stuff that happens to you, stuff that happens to your kids. Uh, it could be some great teaching moments uh, for the future. And you've got your own family. That, the balance of that as well. And that's yeah. always the yeah. tricky part. That's people forget that <laughs> y'all have families too. Uh, you know, how do you juggle that? Because, I mean, these kids you bring into play, it's they're like family to you. I mean, you're kind of mentoring young men along the way uh, and trying to raise your own family. Yeah, and I think in a school like, like ours, that's, that's, a, that's a mission that's given by the university. We're not, not something that, hey, this is a good idea for you to help these kids out. It is your directive. That you're to grow these kids. You're to mentor these kids. That's that's your primary directive. The the golf and competitive aspects is important too. But these kids are now your kids. They're your family, and your mission is to make sure that their four years are successful and they leave here ready for leadership or or whatever. Uh, so it's it, it's pretty clear what my mission is here, which which is great because that jives with what I'm what I've always tried to do with, with my coaching. Uh, and, and they're you know, my wife, and I've got college age kids too now. So they're just like you know, they're just like ten ten members of uh, extended members of, of my family, and, and I I hope they feel the same way. Absolutely, I'm sure they do. Uh, I'm sure they do because you guys are an important part uh, of their lives. But uh, Vandy calls you go to the SEC uh, for a few years. You've had some pretty good players up there as well. Uh, what was that experience like playing in the uh, playing against the SEC teams? <laughs> Uh, it was great. You know, the recruiting was was a, a lot easier on a certain level. I was automatically in the conversation with some kids. Where the, at Tulane, I was, you know, phone, phone calls didn't last very long. So we had Luke List on the team, which was just inspiring to watch. I mean, talk about a great ball striker and somebody who made it look easy. And on kind of the opposite end of the scale, we had John Curran, who's mm-hmm. you know maybe could could carry it two fifty, but was just an incredible golfer and a grinder and a bulldog mentality and a great putter wedge player. And uh, so we, we had pretty diverse players, but uh, we had a good team, not a, not, not a great team. And I, I probably wasn't, uh, I probably wasn't a great coach then. I'm, I think I'm a far better coach now than I was then. So I, I, I apologize to all my uh, former <laughs> Vanderbilt players, but, uh, but it's great to be at that level. You know, you're playing against the best. You know, you're playing against the Billy Horschels of the world, the, the Harris English. The, I mean, George had so many great players. 
Uh, Florida was, was 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 great. South Carolina was really good. Um, so I was, it's just cool to be at that level. Um, I think coaching was probably more fun on the Tulane level and where I'm at now because when you get to the SEC level, there's, I mean, there's there's high pressure, there's jobs at stake, there's uh, a real a huge emphasis on performance, uh, pay win or else, and 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 I get that, and that's why a lot of those coaches are paid pretty highly for that. Um, I just, I just, I enjoy coaching more at the, at the, at the level I'm at now because the kids are, you know, they come with maybe fewer uh, members of their entourage and, and they're, they're, they're a little more coachable and uh, it, it's just more enjoyable for, for me. I feel like I can have, a, I can have more of an impact with these guys, but, but the SEC is, I mean, that was, that was great. And, and, and Scott Limbaugh has done, done a great, incredible job at Vanderbilt. They're, they're one of the elite programs now. And, uh, uh, proud of what 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 he's done, and um, but that that's a whole different SEC is a whole different ball game, and we got to got to have it. Well, and you're also at both Tulane and Vandy, you're recruiting academics at an even higher level. Not that Tennessee's not where I went to, but it's a little different level of athlete as well. Golfers are easier to get those smart kids because for the most part, they're pretty good in in the classroom. Yeah, and I think Georgia Tech. Had a good, good, good academic reputation. I wouldn't say Charlie Reimer fit in with that, but uh, he, he, <laughs> he he did okay, and he, and he graduated. Uh, but I think generally golfers are coming from pretty good backgrounds, uh, and a and a place like Vanderbilt can really uh, attract some really high quality players. Northwestern's the same way. Wake Forest is the same way. Cotas there, you know, recruits some really elite athletes and students. So definitely. Uh, compete on the national level even though you have a, a fairly high academic reputation Stanford's the same way Conrad Ray does a great job out there too you mentioned uh what you've learned as a coach what are you most proud of in all your years of coaching well that's a good one I, I think you know I think I still maybe have some moments ahead of me that I'm going to look back and probably answer that question clearly I think the, the whole Dallas SMU Hurricane Katrina thing is, is one of the things I think that we we made about as good of that situation as we could have, and I think that the players would probably say the same thing if you, if you talk to them. I mean, championships are great, but uh, you know, I love I love hearing kids come back and saying, "Hey, I just got a I just got a, a job in an accounting firm, and or I just got married, I just had a kid." Those those things mean more to me than going to regionals, which is cool and fun. And, and, and I want that, but when, when the kids do other things, I, I, that, that makes me feel better as a coach. And I, that probably sounds strange, but, uh, I'm, I don't have one moment. I think that, that, uh, that I'm proudest of. It's just kind of the, the thing I love about coaching is that every, every day is different. Every year is different. And we're going to have a new class of guys coming in next year that are going to uh, take me, take me places that, uh, that I hadn't thought of. And, uh, it's it's just an incredible job to have and to impact so many kids. So um, I'm, I'm fortunate where I am. That's well said because I, I always would tell my my girls that one played at LSU and one played at Mississippi State. It's it's really about the kids. It's not about the coaches. It's not you know. Sometimes I see coaches, not all, but sometimes they get caught up in, in how the kids play, and it's a reflection of them. But it's really about the kids and mentoring young men. And young women, and you guys, you're obviously doing a great job with that. But uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us. Good luck out in Stockton, California. Uh, it's going to be a fun ride. 
go out and enjoy it, and uh, and we look forward to keeping up with y'all, and uh, have a great week out there. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your questions and your time, and thanks for having me on. Here we go.